Scott with SJ, Wildfire.com. Hey, I'm pleased to announce Pastor Larry. We've talked a little bit about Pastor Larry and his Bible study. He's been studying Ephesians 6 for the last three to four years. You know, brothers and sisters, all God asks us to do is walk with him. As he did with Adam, the scriptures say that in the cool of the evening that God would come and walk with Adam. It's a picture of divine fellowship. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, God just asks us to walk with him. Why is that so difficult? Well, we could think of many reasons. Laziness, I suppose. God's revealed mostly in his word. He's revealed by his Holy Spirit living within our being. He speaks to us that way. And all he's asking is this, walk with me, walk with me, be obedient. In order to walk with God in holiness, we must be obedient. The scriptures teach this over and over. And we're obedient not because we're just commanded to be, we're obedient because we love him. It's a different motivation. When I love my wife and my wife is in a loving relationship with me, you know what? It's easier to obey. Things are fine, is it not? And we walk with one another. Have you ever experienced the fact that when that when the things are not right between spouses, that they kind of tend to be separate themselves and go to different parts of the house and they're not walking together? That's exactly what I'm saying. Let this mind be in you, which, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we've been talking about our minds. And this is where the transformation, this is where the metamorphosis start. It's in our mind. Because what we believe, we will behave. It's true in anything. It's true in the unsaved as well as the saved. You want to really know the mind of Christ? I suggest you read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to delve into his mind and how that's put together. He was meek. Jesus says, I'm meek and lonely. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. My burden is light compared to the world's yoke, the world's burden. And what's this mind that Paul is talking about in Philippians 2.5? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Two things he mentions in that passage. You might want to jot the passage down. You don't have to turn there. Philippians 2.5. It says that Jesus humbled himself. Humbled, humbled, humbled. I emphasize that word. Sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice. Get rid of the pride. As we're going to see in future messages, that was the all-condemning sin of Lucifer himself, was pride. And you can almost trace every sin from that one sole issue, the issue of pride of life. In fact, that's what John says is all this in the world. Three things, pride of life, lust of the eyes, 
and lust of the flesh. But I believe they all stem from the fact of pride. Now, I'm not talking about pride and a job well done. That's different. But being proud in the self, you think you're self-sufficient. That look what I've done attitude. No, he says, to have that mind that is in Christ Jesus, he humbled himself. Humbled, because you can't be a servant unless you humble yourself. And Jesus gave us a perfect illustration of humility, did he not? When he washed his disciples' feet, here's the Son of God, the Son of Glory, washing a man's dirty feet. That's the mind of Christ, is humbling ourselves to servanthood. That's what Jesus desires for those who must walk with him, those who are to worship him. We are a servant, first of all. We put on the shot our feet with the, with the shoes of peace, and we become a servant to mankind. We take the gospel, no matter where we go. We meet people's needs. We see they need money and, and, and food, and we, if we have the means, we help. We help. Servanthood, but humility is required to do that. That's his mind. And it says, he became obedient unto death. Are we obedient unto death? When Jesus tells you, hey, don't do that. <laughs> do we do it anyways? Became obedient unto death. When the Lord tells you to do something and you know it for a fact, are you doing it? And when he tells you not to do something, do you stop doing it? Is it any wonder why Christians live in a life of defeat. I know I speak from experience. And they're in the hands of Satan, and Satan will attack us on these points. If we ignore, ignore God's instructions for our spiritual lives, we will not put on God's armor that he has provided for you and I. We will be his victim and we will not be overcomers. And not only will we suffer from it, others around us will suffer from it. Satan's main goal in this warfare is to inflict casualties upon the people of God. And I relate that to my Vietnam experience. The communist soldiers figured they, they didn't really want to kill you, is just get you out of action. Well, they did want to kill you. Let me rephrase that. That's the best means. But the secondary was to just to wound you, just to get you out of action, keep you out. They didn't care how they did it. And Satan is the same in his attempts to keep us out of action. Sometimes he takes Christians prisoners. Sometimes he wounds them. And he also, he mainly attempts to kill them, but 
through the grace of God, he cannot. God has given us so much to be victorious in this life over the system, the world system that we talked about, over ourselves, our sin nature, and over Satan. He's given us so much. And this is exactly what the book of Ephesians teaches us. We need to dissect. A lot of theology here, my friends, but it's needful. We need to dissect the first chapter because this is how we build our foundation. This is how we're going to utilize our resources. This is how we're going to pick up or take the armor of God and put it on to defeat Satan and his demons. And then when we finish with the pieces of armor that we haven't discussed, we will discuss those and also of the strategies of Satan. And some of those strategies are very, very, um, what I would call not well known, but they're there. So we're going to spend a good amount of time on his strategies. Because I spent a good amount of time training about uh, how to fight the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese. And it's to know your enemy. And the, I think the scriptures teach that. To know his tactics, the better you be able to beat him. Now, like I said before, some Christians, all they need to, all they say is, oh, all I do is stay positive. I just need to love the Lord. I don't have to know about the devil. That kind of thinking will lead you to defeat. Because, you know, Satan disguises himself, brothers and sisters, as a messenger of light, a messenger of love, and a messenger of peace. But it's not a biblical worldview. We need a balance. We need the balance of the love of Christ and the holiness of Christ. So the book of Ephesians starts with what has God done for us that we can pull these resources into our hearts and into our understanding. Remember that in chapter 6, Paul says stand three times. He also says take three times. So to be victorious over Satan and his allies, we must take into our hearts what Paul is going to teach us about the provisions or the resources for victory in our lives over Satan. And this is what we call doctrine. Don't, don't be scared of the word. Doctrine just means teaching. And this is how Paul always starts his letters. In the 14 letters he had written in the New Testament, they start with doctrine first. There's a reason for that. Because we are what we believe. If we don't believe God is what Paul is going to describe in chapter 1, we're going to struggle. We're going to leave ourselves open for the wiles of the devil. And we're going to use our Bibles. You need to follow along. You need to see it for yourself. The majority of the time, I'll be walking through the King James. Now, uh, chapters 4 through 6 is our practical application what results from believing and accepting and understanding these doctrines. So let me uh, reiterate that Paul is talking to believers 
because he uses the phrase 27 times, the last is 27 I counted, 27 times in the book of Ephesians, he uses the phrase in Christ or the synonyms which are in the Lord, in Lord Jesus or in him. 27 times he'll use those in the book of Ephesians and almost 60 times in his 14 letters. So he's talking about, he's talking to those who are in Christ. And let me just read something here that just popped into my mind. How does one get in Christ? Is everyone born that has been born? Are they born in Christ? No, no, that's not, here's the biblical view. This is not the worldview. The worldview says everyone's okay. You know, all go to heaven, but listen to what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 1. I just want to jot the reference down. It says, well, let's start in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. The trust word is important. In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Notice Jesus Christ is spoken of as the word of truth. But he's not only talking about that word Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is speaking of Christ. He's also talking about the truth of the gospel that is contained in the written Word. Because watch what he says. The Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. If you could get to heaven just by being born the way you are, there'd be no need of a gospel. No need of a good news. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ died for our sins. If you could make it to heaven by being a good person or by, by uh, doing good works, there'd be no need for Christ to die. But the gospel says he died, he was buried, and that he rose again. That's the resurrection. That's the gospel. The gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that, you believed. Catch that word. That you trusted, and that you believed. And when you did that, the Bible says you were sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession that's your body unto the praise of his glory. So how did one enter into Christ? By trusting in Christ. Verse 12. So, Paul is writing to those who are in Christ. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he calls them saints. That's back in verse 1. Saint wasn't some venerated man or woman back in olden days who did something unusual for the Lord. 
all the Ephesian believers were called saints. And all the word saint means is to be set apart. You and I, as we're going to see in chapter 1, are set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ, unto the God the Father, unto the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God. So we're called saints, verse 1. Here's the message. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the will of God, to the saints. Those are the ones who are in Christ at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. I hope as we're speaking, God finds you faithful. He has declared you faithful. That's your position. So what we're going to talk about is positional in theological terms. Remember, I'm going to say we're going to talk about doctrine is called positional sanctification. So God puts you in Christ when you trust it and you, and you believe. And he has made you acceptable to him in the beloved. Why? Because when you were a sinner, when I was a sinner, we came to Christ, we exchanged our life for his. He gave us his holy, righteous life. He took our sins and cast them into the depths of the sea where we're forgiven. So that put us in Christ when we trusted that, what he said, and when we believed that gospel. So you are in Christ. So that's positional sanctification. This is how God sees you when he looks at you. It's hard for our finite, sinful minds that, to really comprehend this. But when Christ looks at us, he looks at us through Christ or in Christ. And when he looks at Christ, he looks at, his, at him as holy and the perfect sacrifice. Hmm. He sees you as holy. That's why he can accept us. Because he looks at it at us through his Son, and tell the redemption of our sinful bodies. That's what verse 13, 12, 13, and 14 we're speaking about. So, we are in Christ, and God did that. You didn't do it. You just trusted. God already prepared it. He already made provision for that before the foundation of the world. We're going to talk about that. He did that, and you had no part in it except all you had to do was trust and believe. If you're not in Christ, none of these promises are for you. That's scary, my friend. You're outside of Christ. You're not in Christ. But you can become a believer. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You can become in Christ. He can put you there. All you have to do is trust him and believe him. He's made it so simple and so easy, but man confounds it. Religions confound it. They don't believe him. They don't believe what he stated in his word because they don't believe the word, my friends. But you can become positionally sanctified by trusting in Christ, and he will put you in that class as saints. Based on what he did, not based on what I did or what you did. 
And right now, right now, where you are sitting, listening to this podcast, by repenting of your sin and recognizing that you are a sinner before God. I had to do it. Everybody that's a believer had to do it. And you have to do it also. And you must receive, you must trust him for the gift of eternal life. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not through a bunch of other gods that we have made up. And we need to understand that. So, my friend, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And all the saints said, Amen and Amen. See you next week.